you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. It's Film Week on L.A. is 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Peter Rayner of the Christian Science Monitor, Christy Lemire of RogerEbert.com, and the co-host of The Breakfast All Day YouTube and podcast series, and from Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine, Charles Solomon. We begin with the latest from director Yorgos Lanthimos. This film, uh, Poor Things, is written by Tony McNamara, based on a 1992 novel of the same title. Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe star in Poor Things, which takes us back to Victorian times in a kind of romantic sci-fi motif uh, that uh, has extremes at the center of it. Christy, what did you think of (laughs) Poor Things? Even that description does not even begin to do this film justice. It is so beautifully, wonderfully wild and weird. I'm just going to put it out there right now. It's the best movie of the year. I was prone to like it anyway because I'm a big fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. I love The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Favorite, of course, which Tony McNamara also wrote all the way back to Dogtooth. And there's a thing in all of his films where it's the way people behave in extreme ways within like really pristine genteel settings that like require decorum right and that conflict is so interesting the awkwardness of interpersonal relationships the wrong thing people will say um, and so that definitely takes place here in this really lavish setting um, Emma Stone is I don't want to tell you the whole thing but Emma Stone is it would it, take too long it yeah. really would and there's <laughs> okay, so yeah. much to discover right like there's so many wonderful surprises here but she is sort of a childlike woman at the film's start And with that, she's grunting out words and she's throwing plates and sort of toddling around the house, all stiff-legged and gleeful. And as she progresses, the film's style progresses. It's this very grainy black and white at first. Robbie Ryan is the DP. It's absolutely beautiful. And you have peepholes and fish eyes and it's really weirdly stylized. And as she goes on this journey of self-discovery... She becomes more intellectual and the language becomes more florid and is gorgeously colorful. Like, I got to shout out the costume designer, Holly Waddington, but the costumes evolve with her because every new thing she wears reflects how she's growing up. Giant puff sleeves and moments that take your breath away. Willem Dafoe is very good in this. Mark Ruffalo has never been funnier. Do you guys know that Mark Ruffalo's funny? <laughs> He's hilarious in this as this like preening caddish buffoon. Um, Hannah Shagula and Ger- Gerard Carmichael are among the supporting cast. It's great. Oh, we're talking about poor things from director Yorgos Lanthimos. Peter. Mark Ruffalo is pretty funny as the Hulk. Uh, he is, but so. not like this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the darndest movie. Uh, I can say that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, it's <laughs> it's as Christy said. I mean, it's incredibly well worked out and designed. The production design, the costumes, the whole concept of it is unlike anything I've really seen, even from this director who I have mixed feelings about. Uh, but 
I do think, you know, this is sort of uh, a, a weird nouveau uh, vamp of, of Bride of Frankenstein, among many other uh, uh, things that it derives from. But, but it has that sort of, you know, Bride of Frankenstein was not strictly a horror film. You know, it was, it was, it was, terrific it was, movie. It was a comedy in many ways. Yeah. It was very, you know, funny and weird. And, and, and this, this is true here as well. I think Mark Ruffalo, is, is, it may be the funniest performance I've ever seen, not only by him, but by anybody. I mean, it, it, wow. it is incredibly funny. I mean, he is so on point about, you know, the, all the, the, the changes that he goes through from being this kind of, you know, Martinet macho pig to, to a, you know, a groveling. Uh, all of the beats are there, and, and it makes perfect emotional sense. He's hilarious. Where I have some problems with this movie is I think it there's also a serious subtext to it that I think is is you know that that somehow this is a a movie about female empowerment and that the Emma Stone character is empowered by what she goes through you know she becomes a prostitute in a, in a, in a you know Parisian brothel and this is supposed to be sort of you know you know owning her power and and to, I you know I think there's so much more to that particular. Uh, uh, part of the movie, for instance, you know that that really being a prostitute and, and all that she would have had to go through, the brutalization, the the disease, and so forth, that this is somehow not dealt with at all, and is a sign of of empowerment, as is a lot of what she goes through in the film, and you know claiming her right to be sexual and so forth. I think that that's a lot more complicated than this movie lets on, and a lot more you know blissful than uh, than the film owns up to. Uh, but it's it's certainly a trip, this film, and uh, unlike anything I've seen. Yeah, Christy, your thoughts about Peter's analysis? Yeah, of it. it's a fantasy version of reality. I mean, you can see that from the very first frames of it in terms of the production design and, and, and the way they speak to each other. I think she, yes, she forges a sexual identity for herself, and there's no shame at all to who she sleeps with or why, and I think that's kind of bold and exciting like it destigmatizes sex work but and but but fantasy does have a basis in reality if only as a counterpoint do you think there's no serious subtext that he was going for in this film i think he's going for serious subtext about her her liberation as a woman and the fact that every man in this film wants something from her they want to hide her away they want to control her um they want to marry her whether she wants to be married or not only the women in this film are kind to her and supportive that's definitely the subtext here it's all about female empowerment it's like a weirder version of barbie you know she has to leave and go find out who she is when it was inside of her all along but against the increasingly oppressive patriarchy well is the brothel run by a woman yes yes Catherine Hunter, who is so great in the tragedy Macbeth. of Macbeth, she's the witches, and she yeah. adds a weird kind of spiky warmth to it. Right, right. I don't see that the fact that the, that the, a woman runs the brothel is necessarily a uh, free pass, though. All right. Okay. So you you thought sounds like you were very impressed with the film in some ways, but but the sort of the political subtext, so to speak, gave you pause. Yes. All right. We're talking about uh, Poor Things, uh, the film written by Tony McNamara, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. It's rated R and in select theaters. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, chronicles the development and execution of her Renaissance World Tour, this supporting her seventh studio album, Renaissance. The documentary music film is in wide release. Christy, what did you think of Renaissance? 
Oh, it's incredible. If you are a Beyonce super fan, you could not possibly get enough. This is nearly three hours long. And it's probably not enough for a lot of folks who are really serious fans of hers. Um, she directed this and she wrote it and she produced it. She's, of course, at the center of it. It is similar to the Taylor Swift movie in that she worked directly with AMC theaters to distribute it. There's no studio. It's just out there, which is why it did not screen for critics before it opened. Um, unlike the Taylor film, which is purely a concert film... This is a lot of behind the scenes stuff, too, with her husband, Jay-Z, and their kids and what it takes to put on a show like this. One of the things I loved about it is how she spends a whole lot of time talking about the scaffolding. You're going to learn more about scaffolding than you ever could have imagined <laughs> going to the Beyonce movie. She takes a lot of time to shout out just that it is so elaborate and so expensive. And it's like three different tours going on at once. There's the one that's playing in a stadium. There's the one that's on its way to the next stadium. And then there's a third one that's already being set up at a third stadium. And so she's really quick to point out the drivers and the chefs and the trainers and the people who braid the dancers' hair backstage. She's proud that a lot of the people backstage are women, more so than she's ever seen on any tour. I like all that stuff. You like process. It's really cool. Well, I was going to say, this sounds like far more elaborate than even the typical Broadway show because of the three different sure. uh, infrastructures that they have to build for For this. sure. It's mammoth. And then the whole video screen process. So all that's really interesting. But of course, you're there to be entertained. You're there to see a singular performer fully in her power in every stage of what she can do. She begins as this radiant, benevolent goddess and morphs into this like Afrofuturist cyborg and then eventually becomes this growling, grinding vixen and and everyone in the audience knows every word. Part of the importance of the Renaissance tour is that it's meant to be like a safe place for anybody who is queer, who is transgender. And so she will take time to show people in the audience like clacking their fans and singing along and dressed in glittery silver. So it's a celebration of all that she does. It is very long. I am a an appreciator of her work. I'm not a super fan. After a while, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. <laughs> but it is really cool to see her work with her daughter who, you know, worked hard to earn her spot on stage. And she's just an incredible performer. And just the costume changes alone, the way it's edited really highlights the, the grandiosity of the costume design. So that's a treat in and of itself. It sounds, though, like what really separates it from the Taylor Swift concerts. Swift was really trying to create for people who couldn't go to the mm -hmm. stadium concert the sense of being there. And so in the theater, people were saying it was like kind of like going to the concert. Yeah. This sounds like it does, It has that to some extent, but there's much more of that kind of making of documentary feel as well. It, it is a mix of both. It's sort of a half and half of both. So if you love Beyonce and want to see her perform, you get the thrill of that. But if you also want to know a little more, she's notoriously very private. And so to see the behind the scenes stuff is probably even more exciting for a lot of fans. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce is on rated it's in wide release the uh, animated uh, chicken run dawn of the nugget is directed by sam fell uh, charles please start us off well i love the fact that the Ardman studio has been able to go on being a british studio that makes a particularly kind of english comedy with a silliness and a use of wordplay and spoofs that is their own. At the same time, they're competing with the big Hollywood production houses. They have their own identity. Uh, they learned, I think, from Flushed Away, and they stick to it. And if you like it, you'll enjoy this. It's kind of the Truman Show meets Colonel Sanders. <laughs> uh, Ginger and Rocky have, have, you know, they escaped from the farm. 
20-some years ago when the first film came out. Uh, they now live in this blissful little island, and their adventurous daughter goes out and gets involved in this place that's billed as a paradise for chickens. But is it really? What's underneath all those fixed smiles and all those rainbows and all those happy faces and all that music? And Mrs. Tweedy is back, the arch-villain from the chicken pie factory in the first film. Uh, it has all the Ardman things you expect, the ridiculous machinery, the terrible puns, some great vocal performances, the actresses who play Babs and Frizzler back, and as much fun as ever. I don't know that it's the greatest film Ardman's ever made, but it's lots of fun and, again, has that British silliness that yeah, we don't what, get anywhere else. What's kept them from getting corrupted? <laughs> uh, they never wanted to be a huge uh, empire. In fact, uh, the three partners who started it recently signed a document that the studio goes to the employees, that it cannot be bought and sold to some larger entity. Uh, and this is shortly before uh, everyone was stunned to hear that um, Ghibli was being sold to a, a major Japanese publisher. Uh, they do a lot of charity work in Bristol where they're based with the Children's Hospital there. And it's just they always wanted just to do their good work, to yeah. do it their special way. And they're not out to conquer the world and open a string of theme parks. We're talking about Ardman Studios and their latest chicken run, Dawn of the Nugget. Peter. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I think unlike, you know, Pixar and Disney at this point, uh, Ardman is, is pretty consistently terrific, you know, from movie to movie. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of dips in what they do. It's it's shocking for me to recall that it was 20 years ago. I, I, I couldn't believe that one. <laughs> When Charles said Moore, that. yeah, yeah, that was when Mel Gibson was in it. Yeah. Yes, and we don't miss a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's um, you know, it's very inventive. There's all that sort of Rube Goldbergish uh, contraptions and 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 you know calisthenics and uh, it, it really you know the voice work is 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 great. Uh, it's it's very plot driven. I think even more so than the than the last one, as I recall, uh, which may or may not be an issue. You know, I mean, sometimes when you have so much plot it kind of, you know, sweeps up all the rest of the good stuff and, and you're just sort of fixating on, all right, what happens next? But uh, but I really enjoyed it. It's one of the most enjoyable uh, animated films I've seen this year. Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Disappointing. I'm going to deviate from you guys and say I really wanted to love it. I love Chicken Run. I love Shaun the Sheep. I love all our men. And it's been a joy to show them to my son. There's a quality to the animation that feels glossy here to me in a way that usually we don't see with our men. Usually the part of the charm of it is you can like see thumbprints yeah, on the right, clay, yeah. right? And the imperfection is part of what makes it so specific and so unique. And this felt kind of just like the glossy animation we see a lot. I agree that all the contraptions and devices are fun. The voices are fun. But just... I don't know. It just wasn't quite the same magic for me. Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget is rated PG, and you can see it at the Bay Theater in Pacific Palisades. It starts streaming next Friday, December 15th on Netflix. More with our trio of critics when we come back on Film Week in just one minute. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAist.com slash sweeps. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com slash events. It's Film Week on LA is 89.3. Larry Mantle joined by critics Charles Solomon, Christy Lemire, and Peter Rayner. Next up, the South Korean action thriller Concrete Utopia, directed and co-written by Um Tai Hwa. Peter, what do you think of Concrete Utopia? This is a very impressive movie, um, and I say that having felt that I'm previously sort of maxed out on dystopian apocalyptic movies at this point. Um, but this is very, very impressively made. It's uh, it's set in South Korea in some indeterminate uh, present future where there's been a huge earthquake, and um, it's not clear the extent of the earthquake, but everything is sort of, you know, in, in Seoul is... Uh, is cut off and every all the buildings have, have been destroyed except for one high-rise apartment, uh, which is the only one for some reason left standing. And so the residents of this apartment, uh, you know, sort of band together. Originally, uh, you know, people come in from from outside the city to to try to live in the apartment because it's the winter time and you know they're trying to be benevolent. But then it it gets out of hand. There isn't enough food. There isn't enough room. Blah blah blah. And so so they start to push the people away. Uh, they're led, uh, the, the apartment uh, owners are led by um, the actor Lee Byung-hun, who's in Squid Game, who's very good as this kind of autocratic guy who becomes more and more power mad as, as, as he becomes more powerful um, in, in running this community. Uh, they have chants like, um, our apartments belong to the residents. You know, they hold up signs. They have, you know, uh, uh, karaoke uh, nighttime parties and, and, and revels. But, but it, it turns into a kind of parable of, you know, essentially, what would you do? You know, if you were in this apartment and you knew that your life sort of depended on keeping it fairly inviolable, uh, you know, how would you react? This would work as a tw- old Twilight Zone yeah, episode. I think that, it has that feel exactly. to it. I think, you Rod know, I th- Serling could have written exactly. this. Exactly. I think Burgess Meredith was in <laughs> that right, one, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> Broke his glasses. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, but it's, it's, it's a powerful movie. It's very well made. It's very well directed. And, um, uh, you know, and I think it also has some contemporary relevance in terms of what it's about. It sounds fascinating. Concrete Utopia, the film from director and co-screenwriter Om Tai Hua. It's unrated in Korean with English subtitles. It's also South Korea's official submission for the 96th Oscars. You can see it in select theaters. The historical drama Origin stars ingenue Ellis Taylor, John Bernthal, and Nisi Nash-Betts. It's written and directed by Ava DuVernay. Christy, what do you think of Origin? This is two separate movies slammed up against each other very uncomfortably. And I found it to be a really frustrating experience because of it. I mean, it's, it's an odd structure. Um, ingenue Ellis Taylor plays 
Isabel Wilkerson, the Pulitzer Prize winning author, um, and plays her as she is investigating, researching the book that she would go on to write called Cast. She is trying to draw connections between the Holocaust and slavery and the caste system in India. And so she's playing this real life person doing all this research, traveling to all these places. And in the midst of it all, she suffers just one incredible personal loss, one after another. And it's a a tragedy that she is fighting through and that gives her purpose and a mission. So it's almost like a documentary version of the book, but it's also dramatized moments from the author's life with her husband, with her cousin. John Bernthal plays her husband who is sort of an unusual role for John Bernthal because he's usually, you know, very virile and, and, and commanding and he's sort of a sweet, nebbishy husband here. And then Nisi Nash Betts plays her, the cousin who is like a sister to her. They're very, very close. And so those individual moments reveal some some truth and some emotion, and that's compelling. When it's her in, like, libraries and writing things down on dry erase boards, it feels very ungainly and didactic, and, like, the two different movies together just don't work. There are some beautiful moments of poetry as she's she's doing recreations of, like, a couple dancing in 1940s Germany or a little boy who is black who is not allowed to swim in the pool with the white kids. Like, there's some heartbreaking and poetic images, but it all doesn't work together. It feels like a really rare misfire from Ava. Origin is the film from Ava DuVernay. Peter? Yeah, I get the feeling that, you know, she's she's made some strong documentaries, uh, you know, like 13th uh, about prisons. And, and I think she probably felt that, um, you know, she didn't want to do another documentary, even though in many ways this material lends itself to that. And, and But it's, it's too didactic. It's too... Uh, almost like homework in some ways, you know, the way the, the, the thesis is played out. It's a controversial thesis, but I think the film makes a case for it, you know, that, that it's not racism that's really at the heart of all these horrors. It's the, case, the caste system, uh, you know, that, that the, the untouchables in India are the same color as those who are, you know, oppressing them and, and, and so forth, and that the, the Nazis drew their, uh, you know, racist um, uh, policies from... Uh, American slavery and the treatment of blacks in this country and, and, you know, that that sort of thing, which is, you know, it's 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 the central thesis of her book and it's put forward in the movie. Uh, but I think for me, the the best parts of the film that weren't strictly the quasi documentary ones were the um, the performances, uh, Audrey McDonald and Anjanu um, Ellis Ross. And, Who's and always terrific. Is always terrific. And also there's, a one, there's one wonderful scene uh, between Ellis Taylor and Nick Offerman, who plays a, uh, a handyman who comes in to fix her plumbing, and he's wearing a MAGA hat. And you say, all right, I know where this scene is going. But it goes in a completely different direction. You know, she talks to him, and they, they talk about things that mean something to them, you know, after the ice is broken. And it, it's, it's a remarkable scene. I wish there had been more of it in this movie. Origin is the film from writer-director Ava DuVernay based on the book Cast, The Origin of Our Discontent, starring Anjanou Ellis Taylor, John Bernthal, and Nisi Nash-Betts. It's rated PG-13. You can see it at the AMC Century City 50. 
15 for a one-week Oscar qualifying run. Then it opens wider in January of next year. Uh, the action crime drama Fast Charlie stars Pierce Brosnan, uh, Morena Bakarin, and James Caan. It's his final film. He passed uh, back in July of last year. Philip Noyce, the director, and Richard Wenk wrote the screenplay. Peter, what would you think of Fast Charlie? I liked it. It's it's a very low-key genre picture. It's uh, Pierce Brosnan plays a hitman uh, in the initial scene. Uh, he... Uh, is with a, a demented assistant who, instead of using the knife to, to off the victim, as he usually does, decides to put a bomb in a Krispy Kreme donut box, and then it explodes so that the uh, the victim's head is, is severed, and so Pierce Brosnan can't prove to the, uh, his, uh, 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 the guy that uh, ordered the hit that the guy's actually been killed. So, I mean, it's, it's a sort of uh, Elmore Leonard-ish uh, story, and it goes in a lot of different directions. Pierce Brosnan's... Um, Southern deep Southern accent leaves something to be desired, but you almost don't care uh, because the film is so loopy. It's it's a kind of you know weird noir uh, that has all sorts of permutations. That even when you see them coming, they're sort of ex, you know, uh, they're italicized so that you you sort of feel fond fondly towards the uh, to all the tropes that they're bringing up. Um, it is very touching to see James Caan, you know, who was, was was pretty ill when this film was made. You can you can see he's in a wheelchair for most of it. Um, but just you know, as an extracurricular thing, I thought it was very moving to see him. Mm-hmm. And also, Phil Noyce, who directed, has had a remarkable career of amazingly diverse uh, films, including Patriot Games and The Quiet American, Dead Calm, Rabbit Proof Fence. You know, he's a first-rate director, and I'm glad From to Australia. see he's still yeah. in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Fast Charlie, directed by Philip Noyce, uh, Pierce Brosnan, Marina Baccarin, uh stars with James Caan. It's unrated. You can see it at Lemley's Monica film center in santa monica and fast charlie's also available on demand the animated diary of a wimpy kid christmas cabin fever is directed by luke cormican and it's written by jeff kinney and kathleen shugru charles what do you think of this new diary of a wimpy kid well the diary of a wimpy kid series is hugely popular they've sold millions and millions of books i was talking with christy before the show that her son read them when he was growing up I don't understand why someone with the money and clout that Jeff Kinney must have doesn't insist on making better movies that are higher caliber and higher quality. Uh, the characters in this are very ugly in the way that that CG Peanuts movie was. Their heads are spheres with 2D features kind of pasted on them and the hair that looks like it was piped on through a pastry tube and kind of off-kilter features in some cases. And... This film, which is only an hour long, it's more like a special, can't decide if it's trying to be a heartwarming Christmas tale in the tradition of how many hundreds of things that I've had to sit through during my career, or if it's a spoof of them, or a a nasty take on them. And there are all sorts of just contrivances, like suddenly in the suburb they get snowed in for over a week, and there's a, a big question over, well, what's going to happen? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough water? Are we going to have enough toilet paper? And who's hoarding it? Who's taking more? And then all through the show, uh, the main character, Greg, wants this uh, Game Boy kind of set up that it's going to be his special present. And then in the last couple of minutes, he ends up giving it to a poorer kid. 
but then says, oh, well, I wouldn't want this to turn into a heartwarming Christmas special. And it hasn't. He gets his wish that way. But you just wonder, why bother? Or if you're going to do one of something that's this beloved and popular franchise, why don't you do it first rate that will really play to the fans of it? Diary of a Wimpy Kid Christmas Cabin Fever, Christy. I've seen a lot of Wimpy Kid stuff over my years as a mom here. <laughs> um, and I've read a lot of those books. And yeah, you're right, Charles. The The animation is so off-putting in its design. It's like like they're all made of fondant. It's so ugly. And then like Greg's mouth will be entirely over to the side of his face like he's a Picasso. But not everyone's like that. Rally's not like that. You see Rally head on. He's got all his features the way they're supposed to be. So that's kind of weird. Um, when it does come to life is when it goes back to the origins of these books when you have these little interstitials with the stick figures doing cute simple stuff and like oh like there's life to those in a way that the much more sophisticated quote unquote animation you know can can provide and the characters are all flattened out of all of their idiosyncrasies like there's no, not really a whole lot to them the live action early wimpy kid book movies rather are quite fun though so go check those out instead diary of a wimpy kid christmas cabin fever directed by luke cormack and it's rated pg the seventh installment in the series. The animated feature is streaming on Disney+. The Peasants is a Polish animated historical drama directed by D.K. Welchman and Hugh Welchman, who are a husband and wife filmmaking duo. Peter, what did you think of The Peasants? I was sort of mixed. Uh, this is the uh, the husband and wife team that did Loving Vincent uh, a number of years ago, yeah. where you know they they hand painted like fifty million frames, and and it was about Vincent Van Gogh. That uh, technique had a certain rationale in that movie, although I wasn't crazy about that movie either. But um, but here they're basically just you know painting over live action uh, uh, actors that that. I don't really see the rationale for having done this, especially since it's so incredibly time-consuming to do this. You know, why did they do it this way? Uh, it, it, I haven't read the novel. It's a famous Nobel Prize-winning novel. It's still taught in Polish schools. Um, and uh, it's, you know, set in the late 19th century, and there's a lot of agrarian tumult in it, and Jagna, who's the main uh, woman in it, is uh, tossed around between all these men, and she's flirty and has all sorts of issues, and it gets violent. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of story in this film. Uh, but ultimately, I just kept sitting back and saying, you know, why am I watching this as a, quote, animated movie? Also, this was the the Polish uh, uh, entry for the Oscars this year, which was controversial because Agnieszka Holland, uh, who's the L.A. Critics uh, Lifetime Achievement Award yeah. winner, uh, had a film called Green Border, which is about the difficulties of the border in Polish, a controversial movie in Poland, uh, which was you know pointedly not submitted uh, for this category. As sometimes happens with these international yeah. films, other factors than which is the better movie plays in it. The Peasants, Charles. Well, this is to real animation what the plastic models of the food outside a Japanese restaurant are to the actual dishes. It's devoid of sustenance or savor or flavor or pleasure. It's processed live action, and as Peter pointed out, there's absolutely no reason to do this except as a gimmick. But it feels almost like a, a Polish Faulkner with a kind of while I lay dying ski. It's, it's dreary, it's long, and the processing the live action to do that just adds nothing to the story. 
The Peasants is unrated. It's in Polish and Latin with English subtitles. You can see it at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles. It's unrated. The Canterville Ghost, a British animated family comedy starring the voices of Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie with Freddie Highmore. Kim Burden and Robert Chandler are the directors. We've got just about 30 seconds, Charles, for The Canterville Ghost. Well, in Oscar Wilde's original story, Sir Hugh Canterville has been scaring people to death in this uh, British mansion for centuries. In this one, he talks them to death. It <laughs> never shuts up. The animation is very limited. There are some clever bits that look like pop-up books, but boy, your ears will be ringing when it ends. The Catterville Ghost uh, is available for on-demand viewing. It's rated PG. Our critics will stay with us when we come back. More from Peter, Christie, and Charles. We'll be talking with them about the plethora of awards, shows, and voting that goes on this time of year. And a very important one is coming up, the L.A. Film Critics Association. We'll hear about that process when we come back in just 90 seconds. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at las.com events. See you there. <laughs> 